Let God transform your life as you listen to this inspiring sermon by Reverend Richard C. Whitcomb. On June 29th, 1995, the Sampung department store in Seoul, South Korea was bustling with activity. Thousands of shoppers were going through the five-story complex buying as employees rushed to attend to them. The executives of the company were gleefully counting a huge profit on this great day of sales. But then, unexpectedly, at about 5.52 p.m., everything changed. Without warning, the building began to make cracking sounds. Suddenly, the roof collapsed and the fifth floor fell in. The top floors came crashing down, one upon the other. Windows shattered, steel was bent, concrete was pulverized, and thousands of shoppers and employees were thrown around like wads of waste paper. In less than 20 seconds, the whole building of the South Wing collapsed, killing 502 people and leaving 1,500 trapped under the rubble. What caused the sudden and unexpected collapse of the Sampung department store? When the government went in to investigate, there came to a shocking conclusion. It was not an earthquake that brought down this great building. No plane fell from the sky. It wasn't a terrorist bomb. They came to the understanding that the Sampung department store collapsed because it was built on a wrong foundation. The soil that had been built on was landfill, and they had not made the proper undergirdings to keep the foundation strong. Not only that, they'd put too much weight on the building, and they'd not build strong enough support beams and pillars. Simply put, a wrong foundation and weak supporting walls led to the disaster. The collapse of the Sampung department store in Seoul, South Korea, was the deadliest structural failure in modern history at that time. Yet it could have all been avoided if they'd built on the right foundation and built with enough supporting beams. This disaster would never have happened. Yet sadly today, the same problem exists in the church, not in the physical realm, but in the spiritual. Sadly today, there are millions of people in church on Sunday like today who have a profession of faith. They display a measure of faith, and it looks outwardly like they've built a successful faith, but they've built on the wrong foundation. Go to many churches and you'll hear people praying loudly and singing. Go to many churches and you'll hear people shouting amen when they receive a prophetic word. Yet the faith that is displayed by many is a counterfeit faith. It lacks the right foundation. It may look good. It may look successful. But the faith built on the wrong foundation is guaranteed to crumble. It won't move mountains. And in the end, it will collapse. That's why it's vital for every single one of us to understand the message in our sermon today. We need to understand that if we're going to soar in faith, we have to build on the right foundation. For faith that soars to new heights is grounded in the truth. So what is the right foundation for our faith? How can we ground our faith so that we can soar this year and accomplish God's will? Those are the questions we're going to answer as we look at the story of a man whom Jesus proclaimed had the greatest faith in Israel. But before we find the answer, let's bow our heads and pray. Almighty and everlasting Father, we thank you that you are a sure foundation, that Jesus Christ is our cornerstone. And we ask you today to teach us 
how to build the right faith on the right foundation. Remove from our minds and our hearts every wrong idea, every wrong concept that would hinder us from digging deep so that we can soar in faith. We submit to you now, we bind every voice of the enemy that would come to deceive or disturb or distract us. And in the name of the Lord Jesus, I loose the power of the Holy Spirit to give us light and life and truth to build a solid foundation of faith in our lives. We thank you by faith in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. I invite you to take a moment this morning and join your faith with mine right now. Put your hand on your chest and say after me, Lord Jesus, speak to my heart. Change my life. Manifest your glory in me. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Well, good afternoon, everybody. Welcome once again to Agape House. It's great to have you here today. If you're joining us online, a big welcome to you as well. I trust that if you're ever in Accra, you'll join us in person, and I promise you a warm welcome awaits you. You picked a great day to be with us as we're launching a new sermon series called Faith to soar. As you may remember, God gave me the word soar as our theme this year. And I've been blessed through the month of January as we've heard inspiring revelation from men of God about faith to soar and about the soaring that God wants us to do. But today we're shifting gears a little bit for we've been inspired to soar. We've seen what God wants to do, but now he's bringing us to a foundation that will teach us how to make that happen as we learn how to have the faith to soar. And I believe that God is going to teach us throughout this month, for we cannot accomplish what God desires unless we have faith. And faith is the indispensable element we need to soar. The fact is, all through the Bible, it makes it clear how important faith is. The Bible tells us that it's by faith we overcome every obstacle. It's by faith that the darkness turns to light. It's by faith that the dead are brought back to life. It's by faith that everything is made new. It's by faith that we're saved and healed and delivered and prospered. It's by faith that we claim the promises of God. In fact, when you put your faith in the Lord God Almighty, there is nothing impossible that God can't do. That's why I believe that the world's most powerful people are people of faith. But here's the challenge for us. How do we build the faith that helps us soar? How do we build the faith that makes the mountain move and makes the impossible possible? What foundation do we need to lay. Well, let's find out today. And to help us do that, we've printed sermon notes. They look like this. They're inside your bulletin. And I invite you to take them out now and follow along with me as we discover three foundations for faith. If you're joining us online, you can download our notes free of charge from our social media pages and from our website. There at the top of your notes and on the screen ahead of you is our scripture text today. One simple verse from Hebrews 11:6. I want to invite you to read it out loud together with me. Read it with faith. Are you ready? Here we go. Three, two, one, go. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. May the Lord bless the reading of his word to your heart today in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. I love the amazing truth about faith found in this verse. The Bible makes it clear that faith is the starting point and faith is everything in the Christian life. Here we see that faith pleases God. Faith comes from God when we believe that he exists and faith thrives in the knowledge of our God that he will do what he said. In other words, without God, there is no faith. 
That's the lesson we can learn from the man in our story from the New Testament today. Jesus declared this man as having the greatest faith in Israel. And as we look at his story, we will see the three foundations of faith that we need to build a life that brings God's attention. His story is found in Matthew 8 as I read the word of God. When Jesus entered Capernaum, a Roman commander came to him. He asked Jesus for help. Lord, erade, he said, my servant lies at home and can't move. He's suffering terribly. Jesus said, shall I come and heal him? The commander replied, Lord, I'm not good enough to have you come into my house, but just say the word. Everybody say the word. And my servant will be healed. I myself am a man under authority, and I have soldiers who obey my orders. I tell this man, go, and he goes. I tell that one, come, and he comes. I say to my slave, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed. He said to those following him, hey, what I'm about to tell you is true. In Israel, I have not found anyone whose faith is so strong. Then Jesus said to the Roman commander, go. It will be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that moment. Think about this story for a moment and what the Bible is teaching us. Jesus said this man had the greatest faith in Israel. He had a foundation of faith that enabled him to claim from God what he needed. He had a foundation that he could build upon. And when we follow his example, you too can build the right foundation to soar in faith. So here's the three foundations. Number one, the foundation of my faith is the character of God. Everybody say character of God. The thing I find most amazing about this story is the man himself. He's not the one we would expect in this story to have faith. He's not the one that automatically we would point out as the one that God would answer. Based on who he was, we would think the man would not receive anything. For first of all, he was a Roman. And Jesus himself said, I didn't come for the Gentiles. I didn't come for the Romans. I came only for the house of Israel. So Jesus himself excluded this man from receiving. But not only that, he was a soldier. And I don't know about you, but my perception of soldiers is they're not necessarily spiritual people. I mean, when I think of a soldier, I think of a womanizer, a drunkard, and someone who's mean, nasty, and ready to fight. After all, the man himself said in verse 8, I'm not worthy for you to come into my house. The man knew he had issues and problems. Number three, he was a commander of the enemy that was oppressing the people of God. Jesus' family and friends would have considered this man an enemy. And yet he got the miracle. Jesus attended to him. Jesus answered him. Why? Because this man knew something we need to know today. And that is this. Faith is based on principle, not prejudice. Now what do I mean by that? Simply this. Anyone who follows God's laws of faith will have the results of faith. See, the fact is God has chosen to operate by laws in the natural and the spiritual realm. In the natural realm, he put laws which we all operate by. The law of gravity is keeping me on the platform. It's keeping you in your seat today. And in the kingdom of God, there are also laws. God talks about the law of sowing and reaping. God operates by principles, not by pretense. He operates under the laws of his kingdom. And the kingdom of God has laws. It is that way with faith. If you operate under the laws of 
faith, you are going to receive what God has promised. You can receive what anyone else can receive when you operate by principles of faith. It's not based on fear. It's not based on favor. It's based on faith that's founded on the character of God. That's why Peter says in Acts 10, I now realize how true it is that God treats everyone the same. He accepts people from every nation. He accepts anyone who has respect for him and does what is right. In other words, if you follow the laws of God and the laws of faith, you will get what God has promised. God doesn't operate on the same basis that we think. He doesn't operate on the basis of the world. He doesn't treat us differently based on our status or our position or the way we look or our talents or education or our financial wealth. You may not consider yourself worthy. Other people may not consider you worthy of a miracle, but the fact is God honors faith in any person irrespective of status or position or external signs. If you believe it, say amen. That's why the first foundation for your faith is the character of God. My faith is based on who God is, not who I am. My faith is based on what Christ did, not what I've done. And when I see the Bible, and when I look at my God, I see a God who's good. I see a God who's loving. I see a God who's kind. For Psalm 145 says, great is the Lord. He's most worthy of praise. No one can measure his greatness. The Lord is merciful and compassionate. He's slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. The Lord is good to everyone. Say that includes me. He showers compassion on all his creation. The Lord always keeps his promises. He's gracious in all he does. The Lord helps the fallen and lifts those bent beneath their loads. The eyes of all look to you in hope. The Lord is righteous in everything he does. He's filled with kindness. The Lord is close to all who call on him. Yes, to all who call on him in truth. Turn your notes over to that page too and say amen. But you see, this is what the Bible is telling us. When you trust in the goodness of God, when you trust in the character of God, in the nature of God, in his power and his love, his compassion, then you have a solid foundation for your faith. That's the lesson we can learn from a young boy in Armenia named Armand. On December 7th, 1988, a terrible, massive earthquake struck the nation of Armenia. In just a matter of minutes, as many as 50,000 people were killed. Half a million buildings lay ruined. There was chaos everywhere. People were dying. People were wounded. People were screaming and shouting. Water was cut off. There was no electricity. And in this chaos, there was one young father who survived the earthquake. He dragged himself out of the rubble and picked himself and dusted himself off. And his first thought was for his young son, Armand. He thought, I've got to get to my son, Armand, who was at school. So this father began racing through the streets, past the dead corpses, past the wounded crying for help, past the broken buildings and the damaged roads. He ran and ran till he came to Armand's school to see if he could rescue his son. But when he got there, his heart sank. For the school building lay in utter ruins and it looked hopeless as if no one could have survived. He was about to turn away in sorrow and sadness when he remembered. He remembered a promise he'd made to Armand. He said, son, I will never forget you. I will never leave you. I will always come to help you. 
And based on that promise, the father turned back and said, I've got to do something to rescue my son. He remembered that the son's classroom was in the back right corner of the building. So he went there and began pulling back wooden beams, began lifting rocks and moving concrete and shouting, Armon, Armon, it's daddy. Other parents came, and when they saw the ruin, they shook their heads and screamed, my son, my daughter. But not one of them lifted a finger to help because they believed their children were dead. But Armand wouldn't stop. Even when a policeman came to pull him off, even when a fireman came and said, there's no use, even when the crowd said, give it up, they're all dead, Armand's father would not give up. He'd made a promise for 12 hours, 18 hours, 24 hours, he was pulling and lifting concrete and digging through the rubble. Armand, Armand, for 32 hours, for 35 hours, in the midst of chaos and despair, this father would not quit. And in the 38th hour, he lifted a boulder and shouted, Armand, Armand, and suddenly he heard a voice say, Daddy, 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 I'm here. Miraculously, when the building collapsed, a wall had been created around 14 children, including Armand, and they had been trapped in that building for 38 hours, but they were still alive. How did 14 children survive for 38 hours with no light, no food, no water? How did they keep going? Because the assurance of Armand. I told the other kids not to worry, Armand said. I told them if my father was alive, he'd save me. And when he saved me, they would be saved too. My dad promised that. A little boy named Armand brought hope and encouragement and kept other students alive because he believed in the character of his father. He believed in the love and the promise of his father. And I'm here to declare to you today, no matter what you're facing, no matter the darkness, no matter the rubble, you have a father in heaven who will not fail you. He will not forget you. His promise is sure and he's coming to rescue you. Somebody shout hallelujah. Just like Armand, we have a father, and we need to build our faith in his character. For when your faith is founded on the character of God, you'll realize you can have faith. You can have the faith of anyone. You can have as much faith as anyone. You can have the faith like Apostle Paul. You can have faith like Abraham. You can have faith like Elijah. In fact, the Bible says in James 5, the prayer of a godly person is powerful. Things happen because of it. Elijah was a human being just as we are. Elijah faced lustful temptations. Elijah got angry. Elijah got discouraged. Elijah had setbacks just like you and I, yet he had faith founded in the compassion and the character of God. He prayed hard that it wouldn't rain and it didn't rain on the land for three and a half years. Then he prayed again. That time it rained and the earth produced its crops. Elijah was just like you and me, but he had faith in the character of God. And today God is still looking for men and women who will found their faith on who God is. They will found their faith on a solid foundation of the cornerstone of Jesus Christ, the compassionate, the all-loving, the all-powerful God. We need men and women in this generation like that. We need men and women who will not base our faith on externals, but will base our faith on the principles of God. Men and women who will base our faith on the character of God, for that faith attracts the attention of heaven. Many years ago, 
God brought forth a woman evangelist in the United States and anointed her with great healing power. Her name was Catherine Kuhlman, and great and unusual miracles took place in her ministry. But back in those days in 1950s and 1960s, a lot of people opposed her because she was a woman. Imagine that. And some people said, you have no business preaching. You're a woman. Keep quiet. Sometimes people would ask her, why did God choose you, a woman? And Catherine said something I don't think I'll ever forget. She said, God spoke to her because she asked him the same question. And he said, I went to 10 men before you and asked them to take up this work. And the 10 men said, no. So I turned to you and you said yes. God is not looking at your external factors. He's not looking at your situation in society. He's looking at your heart. Will you say yes? For faith is based on who God is, not who I am. When you doubt yourself, don't doubt God. When others doubt you, don't doubt God. He's always ready to answer anyone who says yes, for his word is true. That brings us to our second foundation. The foundation of my faith is the word of God. Everybody say word of God. If you believe in the character of God, then you believe in the word of God. That's how faith grew in the Roman commander. Listen to how his story goes on. In Matthew 8, 8, the man said, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. When this Roman commander believed in the character of God, then he believed in the word. For when God speaks the word, miracles takes place. That's why Psalm 107:20 says he sent his word and healed them and he saved them from the grave. See, all faith must be based on God's word, not my wishes. God doesn't promise to do what you wish for. God doesn't promise to do what you hope for. He promises to do what it says in his word. The word is the foundation of our faith. It's what faith relies upon. It's what faith is built upon. It's what faith depends upon. For you see, when God says it, that settles it, and there's no other question. When God says it, I believe it, and there's no doubt, no doubt about the outcome, no doubt about what God has promised. God's word is sure, and when you understand the law of faith, you don't need anything other than the word to build your faith upon. But when you build your faith on something other than the word, your faith is going to sink. That's the lesson we can learn from the true story of the Lusitania. Many years ago, there was a great ocean liner named the Lusitania. In its day, in the early 1900s, it was a premier ship. It had space for thousands of passengers, and it went back and forth from England to the USA. It had the best onboard facilities, top-of-the-line engines, and world-class amenities. But on May 7, 1915, a German torpedo struck the Lusitania, and sank it. In a matter of minutes, 1,198 people on board drowned. The tragedy was made worse by the fact that on board the Lusitania were enough life vests for every single passenger and crew member. And not only that, but the life vests on the Lusitania were the premier top-of-the-line life vests available. And what makes it even more horrible is the fact that eyewitnesses have stated that many of the people who drowned, drowned wearing their life vests. Why? because they put their faith in the life jacket, but they didn't bother to read the instructions. 
And it came out later that many who put on the Lusitania life jackets put them on upside down. Rather than keeping their head afloat, it dragged their head underwater and they drowned because they didn't read the word. And today I fear that there are millions placing their faith in a religious experience, but they haven't read the word. We're placing our faith in what a prophet said or what we heard on the radio or something that happened to us and we felt a tingle in our spine, but we've neglected the word of God. The people had the means to be saved, but they didn't read the instructions. They based their hope on a false foundation. Without his word, you can't expect anything by faith. Without his word, you can't receive anything from God. Too many of us today think faith is a mystery. We wonder why some are healed and some aren't. We wonder why others get and we don't. And yet the fact is faith is not a mystery. It works according to principles, not pretense. And when you follow the rules of faith, God always keeps his word. Think about the story of our Roman commander. When Jesus said, do you want me to come to the house? The man said, no, this shocks me. The man said, just say the word, that's all I need. He understood the power of the word. His faith was in the word. Today, if many of us had been there, we would not have been satisfied. We would have expected Jesus to come in person. We would have expected him to stomp the ground and rebuke the devil. We would have expected him to scream and shout and snap his fingers three times while he clapped as he prayed and poured out anointing oil. We would have said, ah, you just gave me a word. All I got was a word. I need Jesus to come and snap his fingers and jump up and down. Hey! But the man knew something we need to know today. All you need is a word from God, just a word, and everything changes. I'm sorry to say a lot of us put more faith in omens and signs and external than we do in the word of God. Tell your neighbor he's talking about you. Oh, you didn't like that, huh? You sleep, and in your sleep you dream. You dream and you see someone chasing you. You wake up and say, hey, the devil is after me. Then you look outside and there's a black sky. You say, oh, it's going to be a bad day. And then you look in the compound and you see owls, owls in your compound. Ah, they've come by me. You're in your kitchen preparing your breakfast. You drop something and it breaks. Oh my God, it's a bad day. You're rushing to work and you stub your toe on the table. You think something bad is going to happen. Hey, you're trusting in external omens and signs. I believe God speaks through dreams. I believe we need to pray and interpret them. But I believe my word of God more than I believe my dreams. Your dream may be a warning of demonic activity, but I believe the word of God that says, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. I believe the word of God that says, submit to God and resist the devil and he will flee. I believe if I see owls in my compound, it means God is reminding me to bind the devil, put on my armor, and do some spiritual warfare. Come on, put your hope in the word of God. God, not in your dream. Faith works by principle, not pretense. Have you ever seen those Facebook posts? You've entered a new month of divine favor. Share this post a hundred times and you'll get a hundredfold blessing. Ah! Where is that in the Bible? <laughs> so does it mean if I share it a million times, I become a millionaire? Hey! The worst are those that threaten you. Jesus loves you. If you don't share this, it means you don't love him. What? I thought Jesus said you will know them by their love, not by their social media activity. Hello, tell your neighbor he's talking about you. The problem is we base our faith on externals. When something bad happens, we get worried. 
When something good happens, we think something great is coming from God. You wake up in the morning, you turn on the radio, and it's your favorite Joe Metal song. Hey, Jaira. Hey. Yeah. Immediately, you walk out from the compound to get a taxi. A taxi appears, and the guy is good-looking, and the car is neat. Hey, ladies. You go to work, and your boss smiles at you. You say, hey, I'm blessed and highly favored. You're trusting in the smile of your boss, the taxi that appeared, and the music on the radio. Your trust is in the wrong thing. Because when the day comes, and the gospel music doesn't play, and the taxi's late, and your boss is frowning, what will you put your faith in? You've got to have your faith in the word of God. I thought you clapped for me. See, the law of faith operates on a different level. It's not by what you see or what you feel. It's not by what you think. It operates by the word of God. This Roman soldier didn't need a sign. He didn't need an external. There's nothing wrong with anointing oil. We use it in church. There's nothing wrong with clapping your hand. I clap my hand when I pray because I'm excited. There's nothing wrong with snapping your finger. But if your faith is in the oil or the clapping or the snapping of the finger, you've got your faith in the wrong place. Somebody say amen. The man didn't need Jesus to come. He needed a word because there's awesome power in the word. My Bible says the word created the heavens and the earth. God said let there be light and his word brought light. Let there be stars and earth and his word brought stars in the earth. For Psalm 33 says the word of the Lord is right and true. The heavens were made by the word of the Lord. All the stars were made by the breath of his mouth. And my Bible says you can trust the word because there's power in the word. He Hebrews 11.3 says, through faith, we understand that the world was made by the word of God. Things we see were made from what could not be seen because of the power of the word. The Bible says in Hebrews 1.3, God's son has all the brightness of God's own glory and is like him in every way. By his own mighty word, he holds the universe together. And I'm here to declare to you by faith today, the word of God created the universe. The word of God's holds it together and the word of God can solve your problem and bring hope and health and life and deliverance and provision for you today because there is power in the word of God. Somebody say amen and God's word always is honored. He honors his word and creates and heals and saves and delivers. For Isaiah 55, 11, God says, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. And I declare to you today, you will not leave here the same. God's word is going to accomplish something in you today. You will not be the same if you receive the word of God. What he's sending it to do will change you and transform you. If you will latch onto the word, you will have the faith to soar because the word is based on his character and the word is based on God's authority and that's our third foundation the foundation of my faith is the authority of God listen to what the Roman soldier said in Matthew 8 9 I myself am a man under authority somebody say authority and I have soldiers who obey my orders I tell this one go and he goes I tell that one bra and he comes he speaks three I say to my slave, do this, and he does it. The man understood the principles of authority. He knew what we need to know. God's word represents God's authority. The word of Jesus was identical to Jesus coming himself in person. 
Every time you read the Bible, every time you hear the Bible, it is the same. No difference as if Jesus personally has come from heaven to speak to you. I love prophecy. We need prophecy. We invite prophets to come and we receive their word. But there is no guarantee like the word of God. For we prophesy in part, and we know in part, but God's word is complete and never fails. If you can get this truth inside of you today, it will change your faith. For every word of God in your Bible has the same authority of Jesus Christ. And there is power and authority in God. Matthew 28, 18, Jesus came and told his disciples, I've been given all, somebody say all, I've been given all authority in heaven and earth. If God has all authority, it means the devil has none. If God has all authority, it means the rulers in this world have if God has all authority and Jesus has all authority, it means that your enemies have. And get your faith based upon God's authority. We need to put our battle in perspective. God has authority. The enemy has none. And Ephesians 1 says, now he, Jesus, is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else, not only in this world but also in the world to come. God has put all things under the authority of of Christ. And we can have confidence today in God's character, his compassion, his word, his authority. That's why I believe our dear departed sister wasn't the devil who killed her. God chose to take her home. We're not God we don't understand, but it's not the enemy who won a victory. For Jesus has welcomed her and embraced her. And the devil cannot take a child of God from this earth. Only God can carry a child of God home. I believe the devil cannot kill me. The devil cannot kill a true child of God. For you see, the Bible says in Revelation 1, 17, 18, Jesus said, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one, Jesus said. I was dead, and now look, I'm alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death in Hades. Who has the keys of death? Jesus. And our times and our life are in his hands. And when you're a child of God and in his hands, the devil doesn't have the key of death. You know how I think it happened? On that great day when Jesus died on the cross, the devil thought he won. The Bible says they thought they'd won. Hey, we killed Jesus. <laughs> they were having a party in hell. Yeah, they had a party. They were listening to hip-hop music, drinking a gogoro, smoking weed. The devil and all the demons, they were laughing. We've won. We killed Jesus. We killed Jesus. In fact, they were so confident of their victory, they sent the smallest insignificant demon to go and guard the gate. They said, you go. You small boy, you go. The rest of them, they were listening to rock, hip-hop music, all disco music. You know. Disco, that's my, uh, sorry, that's 1980s. Sorry, I'm, uh, I'm old. They were partying. We won. But suddenly, the little demon at the gate looked up in the sky, and he saw a light. The light was so bright, so powerful. The light was coming at hell with speed. The light was getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Because see, the Bible says when Jesus died on the cross, the temple veil was torn in two. And Jesus descended to hell. The Bible says he descended down to hell. Why did he descend to hell? He went to take the keys of death and hell from the devil. And the Bible says he went down and conquered and led captivity captive. And this little demon was at the gate and he saw a light. It was getting brighter and brighter and bigger and bigger. It was coming with speed. And the little demon, even though he was stupid, he didn't know. He went to the demons. He went to Satan and said, 
I want to report there's a light coming. The devil said, a light? What are you talking? The devil rushed to the gate and he looked up and saw the light. It was getting bigger and bigger, brighter and brighter. He said, it's Jesus. It's Jesus. He's coming. Bar the gate. Lock the gate. Bring every padlock. They brought every padlock in hell to lock the gate. All the demons were holding it. But Jesus came and landed at the gate of hell. And with one hand, he grabbed the gate and threw it to the side. He came and slapped the devil, gave him a kick, karate chopped him, and said, you've got something I want. And he took the keys of death and the keys of hell, and he ascended to heaven. And my Jesus sits on the throne of heaven, and he's got the key of death and the key of hell. And no matter what, the devil can't take it back. Somebody say amen. Do you think the devil can sneak in in the midnight and grab the key again? while God is sleeping, are you mad? Do you think the devil can come and say, "Ah, you have something of mine, I want it back, it's the key of death. Are you crazy? Jesus will never give up that key. This is from Revelation. He said, I've still got it at the end of time. And I'm here to tell you today, the devil has lost the key of death because there's all authority in Jesus. The devil is defeated. And the devil has lost the key to his own front gate. He can't lock his compound. The gate of hell is open, and the devil can't lock it because the key to hell is in heaven with Jesus. And that means that God's called you and I to go with faith in the authority of God and plunder hell to populate heaven. He's called us to walk in and take back what the devil stole from us. And I call upon men and women in this house today to rise in faith. I call upon you to rise in the faith of the character and the nature of God. He is loving and kind and compassionate. I call you to rise upon the fact that his promises never fail. I call men and women to rise in faith today based upon the word of God. Principle, not precept. Not based on externals, but based on the unchanging, unfailing, never erring word of God. I call men and women to rise in faith in this house this year, to faith to soar, faith in the authority, faith in the power, faith in the one who holds the keys of death and hell, faith in the almighty God who can never fail us. And when you have faith built upon who God is and what he said and the power and authority in him, you will have faith to soar. Father, in the name of Jesus, move upon your people today. Stir our hearts, Lord, for everyone who's looked down on their own lives and doubted themselves, for everyone that other people despise and disparage, give us faith, not based on external factors, but based on who you are, not who we are. Give us faith today, Lord, not by what we see in the natural, but what we see in your word. Give us faith that overrides and overrules every objection, to your word. Give us faith today founded on an authority of the only one who holds the keys of death and hell, the conquering Jesus, the risen Lord. Let him, his power and his word be our cornerstone. Give us faith to soar. In Jesus' name. The hope of nation. God bless you for listening to this message 
Reverend Richard C. Whitcomb is the senior pastor of Agape House, New Testament Church in East Lagon. If you are ever in Accra, we would like you to worship with us on Saturday night at 6 p.m. or on Sunday at 7.30, 9.30 or 11.30 a.m. You will have an awesome experience. We're here now.